Hey, what's up? This is Frank Zuma from Sum 41, and you're checking out the We Podcast and the Things We Know. <laughs> close. <laughs> so close. You right? guys have to use that I'm, one. I'm keeping it. <laughs> I'm keeping it. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a very, very special bonus episode of We Podcast and We Know Things. My name is Greg Hall, and joining me tonight, a very special guest. I am so excited to have this conversation. I said it before the show. I'll say it again now. I've never met you, but after reading your book, I feel like I know you. Emmy Award-winning producer and music journalist and now author Mike Henneberger. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us tonight. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. This is great. I'm so I'm excited to have this chat. Um, uh, us too. Yeah, well, I mean, well, me too. I'm flying solo tonight. Sam's uh, Sam's uh, preoccupied, so just me tonight. Cool. Yeah. No, I was. Uh, I I actually don't. You mentioned before the show, like I that I might hear that a lot. Uh, I don't hear anything a lot because I mean I'm a new author and uh, I've only talked to a few people about the book. But I I kind of I've always. That's what was my hope with the book is that, you know, n- not just the people feel like they know me, but that it's that it's a clear enough picture that anybody who's dealing with the stuff I dealt with in the book will, you know, see see it clearly enough that like if they're dealing with that, there's nothing wrong with it because, you know, we can all get get past this stuff. Yeah. So I'm yeah, I mean, that was that was definitely a it was a time in my life but I am a very different person now. (laughs) The book in question, Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in and with New York City. And we've talked about this book a couple different times on the pod. I uh, did a story on it when it went live for pre-order. And then I did another story on it. Just like I read the first couple chapters and I just want to give early impressions. And I am, I am absolutely married to every single time I refer to it. I say the entire title. I don't just say rock bottom at the Renaissance. I have have to say (laughs) the whole thing. I appreciate that, man. And I appreciate all you've done. It's like pushing it and letting people know about it. That means a lot. Listen, thank you so much. and, And just to be clear, I did get an advanced copy of this book from our friends at Big Picture Media, but when I opened the book to read it for the first time and right on the title page, you wrote a little note to me. I was like, well, hell yeah, dude, I'm fucking in now. Like, (laughs) this is sick. So thank you for the note saying you listened to the show before. We appreciate that. Yeah. Um, That was really nice. Yeah, man. No, yeah. I mean, I I try to do my research, but also like, I mean, you guys have a good show, so it's easy to, to keep up with it. Well, let's learn a little bit about you before we go into the book itself. So you're in, like I said, you're an Emmy award-winning producer. You're a music journalist that's been affiliated with like Comedy Central, Rolling Stone, Billboard, Spin, Vice, and even more. Tell us a little bit more about your affiliation with those organizations. And I got to know about that Emmy. I started when I was like 22. So we're talking like 15 years ago. Um, my, my brother and I started a a zine on our college campus called the vent where, and this was before, like we, it was before like the onion really blew up or anything, but we, we, we knew about the onion from like paper copies of it in Austin, Texas. And we were always like writers and, you know, we wrote like comedy sketches and stuff. But, uh, so we decided to write this satirical zine kind of mocking our hometown because it was a small little town in South Texas, but also the, the newspaper at our university was run by the college. So you couldn't really vent any problems, any like complaints about the college in it because they censored it. 
so we also wanted to give people the opportunity to express their frustrations with the university and we wanted to express ours. So we started this zine called the vent. And in that zine, we were both big punk rock kids and we were four hours from Austin, Texas. So we didn't get a lot of like good music down there. So we would go to Austin and we would go to San Antonio and interview bands and then write about it, write about them in the vent. And that thing grew my brother mostly because I, I was in and out of our hometown, but my brother grew it into a alt, an alt newspaper in Corpus Christi, Texas. So that magazine's still around. He's still writing it down there. Um, it's been around for 15 years now. And it's kind of like, I mean, I don't know what you guys have in Philly, but it's like what the Village Voice was or the Austin Chronicle, you know, the, the magazine that people pick up to find out what's going on in your city. Um, that's the vent in Corpus Christi, but there's not enough going on in Corpus for it to be a <laughs> weekly. Sure. So it comes out every month. Yeah. Um, so that's how I started writing. And I played in bands from when I was 14 till I was 22. And so I, um, I just love music and music's always been a huge part of my life. And so that became me interviewing bands and re reviewing records and reviewing shows and eventually becoming a photographer and a concert photographer. Um, and then we turned the vent into a TV show in Corpus where we did video interviews with bands. And so all of this like DIY stuff, you know, I became good at that and I found a way to do something that I could get paid for. I mean, not a lot, but mm -hmm. um, I've never needed a lot. And so I could do something that I loved and that I was passionate about. And I just chased that. That's all I've ever wanted to do in my life. And so um, I joined the army for a little bit, very little bit. Um, but when I got out, I went back to college mm -hmm. and got an internship at Comedy Central um, to in the digital on the digital media team for the Daily Show and the Colbert Report. Wow. And I worked that internship for five months, which is when the book started, um, was when I was in New York for that. And so like the whole main the girl in that book takes place during that like five months I was in New York. Uh, the hotel room that I write the book in was during that five month internship in New York. Um, but, uh, so yeah, then I went back to college for one more semester uh, to graduate and then Comedy Central hired me. And while I was there, I was a digital media producer on a show called Night of Too Many Stars, mm -hmm. which is a benefit fundraiser for autism education. Mm -hmm. And, um, I won an Emmy for that for outstanding interactive program, which is just like all the digital media side of a TV show. So like we did, you know, viral videos, we did mobile games, we did, uh, we did an online auction, we did all this crazy web stuff. Um, and this is in 2012. So um, we were comedy central has always been kind of ahead of the game on things. Um, so yeah, I won an Emmy for that and, um, kept doing that for a little while, got laid off from Comedy Central and went off to just work in video production, doing freelance stuff. But then I landed a job at Vice for a couple months, um, producing videos there and then 
Rolling Stone for a couple months producing videos there and then Billboard for a year producing videos there. Um, and yeah, now I'm, I'm producing commercials and directing commercials here in New York city and producing independent video stuff. But the last year, man, I've really done nothing but focus on the book because I'm completely DIY self-published and it's exhausting. And I have to do so much just to like get it out there and get people's attention on it. But uh, I think I covered all the bases there. There's there's so many little pieces that like I was always afraid it takes too long to tell that to tell that stuff. But uh, I think I covered it all. Yeah, I mean it it takes a special kind of person and a lot of prep to be able to hang out with dudes from that '70s show. I saw. Right? Did I? Yeah. Oh, the Ashley Kutcher picture. I thought it was Walter Valderrama or whatever his name. Oh, Wilmer Valderrama. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I forgot about that one. I don't know why. That's like the recent one. I have a picture with Ashley Kutcher from like. 15 years ago. Well, there you go. Um, half, half the male cast on that show. There you go. <laughs> yeah. You just need Topher. Um, and I, I don't want, I don't want to talk about the other guy with all the allegations. I was going to say, I don't need to meet that guy. <laughs> um, but, uh, actually I met Topher Grace too. I think I, I definitely have a picture with him somewhere. <laughs> That's sick. When, I, when I lived in LA, I went to, uh, I, I used to crash movie premiere parties and award shows. Like I, I, I stole my tuxedo from high school choir there you go. Um, and I would put my tuxedo on and just like sneak into these like Hollywood premiere parties and stuff. And so I met Ashton Kutcher at the Sin City premiere party. And I met Topher Grace at the premiere party for a movie called American Dreams, which starred Mandy Moore. And it was like a mock mo- a movie mocking American Idol. Mm. Um, but uh yeah, I met Topher Grace there, and I have a picture with him, too. So, yeah, sick. but I don't know why Wilmer Valderrama didn't come to mind. That was just, like, two years ago. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was for uh, Johnny Walker, like, coincidentally, uh, which plays a big role in the book. Yes, it but, does. Uh, I, I, did a, I made some videos for Johnny Walker, and Wilmer Valderrama was their, like, spokesperson at the time. Talk about full circle. Yeah. Let's, right? let's talk about the book. Like I said, Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in and with New York City. And when I look at this cover, I have the book in my hand as we speak. There's a pair of headphones. There's a bottle of pills. There's a bottle of alcohol and a typewriter. Uh, you've described it as a mixtape memoir. And for me, when I got done, I had one word that came to mind and it was gripping. So to me, this was a stunning, gripping uh, memoir that is not all sunshine and rainbows, especially that final chapter. What drove you to want to write this compelling book? I didn't want to write it. It just, um, (laughs) it just sort of happened. I get it. It did. Like, I mean, you, I mean, you've read it. So, uh, like that's exactly how it happened. Like, I, I won this contest for, um, concert photography that live nation and Nikon put on. And part of my prize was a stay in a hotel, um, for a weekend. And so I was, you know, sleeping on an air mattress in New York and decided it'd be cool to spend a weekend in a hotel and might as well write while I'm in there. Cause like, I've always considered myself a writer, but, um, I lived in LA for two years from 2005 to 2007. And I wrote a lot while I was there. Then after that, I didn't write much at all, except like journalism and critical essays. 
And so this book was the first thing I wrote that was not that for like five years, um, for like four or five years. And so um, I wanted to write and I didn't know what I was going to write. Um, and it just so happened, it happened exactly like that. Like I left work to go to the hotel, that opening scene in the book where the plane is flying by the building and Jimmy World 23 is playing in my ears. That ex- that happened. Like that's exactly how it happened. And then I went to the hotel. Um, and then everything that happens in the hotel happened exactly like it's written in the book. I cleaned it up a little bit to to make it more understandable because I was high on a lot of pills and drunk on a lot of booze. So sometimes it didn't make some sense. But I tried my best to not change much of it because I wanted people to to get the best idea that they could about what I was actually feeling that weekend. But that weekend in the hotel, I did not finish the book. And then I put it away for like over a year, maybe even close to like two years because I didn't, I was too scared to go back to that dark headspace I was in when I wrote it in the hotel room or when I started it in the hotel room. And so eventually I forced myself to, and I finished it, but I didn't, I didn't want to like, I never had the idea to start that book. I wrote more than half of it in that hotel. And I just, it was the, the thing that I had that was, it became so important to me and it became such a story that like needed to be finished but initially it wasn't something like I didn't go into it with the plan to do it the way to do it, to write it. I didn't go into that hotel room with any idea other than I'm going to sit down and write. And that's what came out of it. Well, we are all glad you finished it. And and I would say not only myself, but uh, other readers as well, because when I look at the early kind of feedback from the book, you're talking bestseller in mental illness in punk uh, in Texas, New York City, music philosophy, um, ADD, again, punk memoirs, suicide, pop culture, all in the best-selling categories, some as high as number one, number three. Um, and that's unreal feedback. But you also told me that you yeah. haven't you haven't really talked to or interviewed a bunch of people about the book itself. But what has some of the early feedback you've heard since the book released? I mean, I've I've had a I've had a few people tell me that um, it's very relatable and that they relate to it a lot, and I always say I hope it's not that relatable <laughs> um, because I do want I mean like here's the thing it's like it took me a long time to put this book out mm-hmm. because like I said I started it in 2011 and then it. I probably finished it by like early 2014. But the thing is, is that like it bothered me so much that I was that person. Um, Because I don't, I don't hold back in the book. Like I am aware that I was an asshole in certain points of that book. And I admit it, you know, I don't go easy on myself in the book. And so like one, I'm, I was ashamed of a lot of it. 
two, I was afraid to admit that I was that hurt and that screwed up in the head. I was afraid to admit that because that stuff doesn't go away. You know, it's like, if you don't take care of yourself, like if you take care of yourself, you can manage it, but it doesn't go away. So for a long time, I was afraid to admit that I could be that bad. And so I, so it took me a long time to put it out. And so like what finally led me to putting it out was one day I was reading it over. Um, and I, I was able to read it as somebody completely different and I didn't even see that person as me anymore. And I thought, holy shit, this is a good book about mental illness that could help people who are struggling with these things that I struggle with. I didn't even, I was reading it and I didn't even see that person as me. I was reading it as a guy with depression, with major depressive disorder and anxiety disorder. And I was being helped by that book. So when people tell me they relate to it, that's why I put it out. You know, like I, I'm giving half the money to charity and like my only goal is to try to get it in front of people who, who it can help. And so most of the feedback I've gotten from people, which, I mean, it's only been out for two weeks and a lot of people got it from an Indiegogo that I did. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had people, I've had really close friends that I've like my buddy, a good, one of my best friends from junior high, who was a groomsman in my wedding, um, messaged me the other day. Um, and he got a copy of the book and he told me that he's bipolar and I, he was in the Navy and he struggles with PTSD too, which I already knew, but I didn't know that he was bipolar. And so like, he was opening up to me about that for the first time. And I'm, I've known this guy for 20 plus years, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it's still new. So I haven't heard from a lot of people. I got an email today, actually, or yesterday from, um, a girl who got it from the Indiegogo and she, you know, said that she was introduced to some new bands from it, which I also love because, you know, I've been trying to do that too for 20 years, like introduce people to bands. She didn't tell me which ones though. So I asked, but I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's the best feedback is that like, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me that even with, I, I, I'm hesitant to say this stuff because they haven't read it. And so I, I, you know, still think like, oh, well, they might hate it. And so this feedback doesn't count. But so many people have like thanked me for putting it out, putting it out because they deal with this stuff. And, you know, it's, it's comforting to see somebody open up about it. Um, and so that's, that's nice. And I'm glad people feel that way. <laughs> but then I like in my head, I'm like, yeah, but don't, don't hope you don't hate it. When you read it. <laughs> Um, it's so, impossible. It's yeah. impossible to hate this book. I, you know, like I'm, so I, I, so. I like to read. I would not classify myself as a reader. Um, and yeah. in my bookshelf, it's got 12 compartments, 11 are my wife's. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Uh, I think I'm looking at it now. Nine are my wife's. One is my daughter's and half of one is mine. So nice. I'm not like a huge reader, but I couldn't stop once I picked it up. So, um, man, thanks. Yeah. And, and I don't say that just cause we're having this conversation, take the name tag off, take the interview off. I'm pretty blunt we've been doing 250 episodes of this show. Our listeners know I can be very, very blunt, but <laughs> I, I read this book and, and like you said, I might not have, 
identified or connected with every piece, right? Like yeah. the, like the alcohol piece and some of the other stuff that, that might not be where I connected, but where I do connect is the mental side, the, the, especially the music side, bass sides, a top 10, 15 band for me of all time. So yeah, same here. So uh, I've seen them over a dozen times and, and I'm, that's not actually that much when you compare it to a couple other bands I've seen, but still I, I connect with Bayside in a huge way. And yeah. Um, uh, so like even that was something that I really connected with. And I, and I urge, I urge the folks that are listening to this to go to rockbottombook.com. We've talked about it before on the pod, but rockbottombook.com. If you can't remember that there's a link to it in the episode description, wherever you're listening to this, go check it out, right? Go to the link, see if it's for you. You just heard half the money's going to charity, which I didn't even know. That's absolutely sick. That tells you how much of a passion project this is for you and not something you're just putting out to make a profit. Yeah. Yeah. And so like for through June, July, and August, the summer months, I'm donating 50% of the royalties to music cares and for the nomads, Mm -hmm. um, which are both charities that help out musicians and tour crew who are out of work all summer because there are no tours. They're probably going to be out of work for the next year. And, you know, I probably a lot of us would not be where we are today if we didn't have those people and what they offer us to, you know, help us get through things. So I'm trying to do my part there. Um, And then in September, because it's uh, Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, I'm hoping to have the audio book out by then, too. But I'll be donating money. Uh, I'll be donating donating fifty percent of the royalties to mental health charities, and most likely to write love on our arms. Um, and I'm trying to find some others, but I have not even gotten that far yet. With, I with I things. actually just recently donated to Music Cares, but for a different reason. It was uh, that thing you do is my favorite movie of all time. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. And the band, the Wonders, got back together for a watch along. So I. I, yeah, no, I watched that. Yeah. Me too. I, I love that movie too, man. That's such a big movie for me. It, My like, wife thinks it's ridiculous. But. I, 1996, I was seven or eight. Depends on when the movie came out. I was seven or eight yeah. years old. And and my dad was in a signed band. Like He's a musician. I grew up a musician. I haven't played right. music in like three to five years. But um, I have a couple records out there and stuff too. So music's been a huge, huge, huge part of my life. Every tattoo I have is basically music or uh, song oh, lyrics. Wow. So... Like it's what been, was your band called? Oh, do you even want to know? The, believe me uh, when I tell you that you've never ever heard of us. We were called Seven C Hero. Uh, it was about as bad as you can get from a naming perspective. Well, I mean, I was in a Christian ska band, so <laughs> I don't know. We listen. We were so bad. We only had a pure volume. If you remember, pure volume. I was, do remember pure volume, but that doesn't mean you're bad. I mean, we we my Christian ska band broke up before MySpace. So like, right. we didn't have anything. Yeah. I never, I've never had a MySpace in my life for music or personal. It's a, that was a social <laughs> yeah. media platform. I skipped. Dude, I always tell people if I, if, if my band back then and me back then, if we had Facebook, I'd be a rock star because I booked, I booked national tours with an Atlas and like barely, it was like magazine ads of tours looking at venues and cities and like, barely the internet existed like barely existed in 2000 uh we went on our first tour in 2000 yeah in the fall of 2000 and we had to i had to use a big giant atlas we had to buy phone cards use pay phones like 
if if I had what the kids today have, the man, kids today. I, I, yeah, because I, 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 I'm, I've always been a hustler, man. Yeah, I've always. I've always gone after what I wanted. And so like, yeah, if I had like Facebook and Spotify, shoot, dude, I'd, yeah. I'd be a rock star. Mike Hanneberger, music's version of a Scooby-Doo villain. These damn kids. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> now you, you did just touch on this piece a little bit by saying a little bit of your plans for the next couple months, but besides coming on this show, because let's face it, we're a destination podcast. People line up around the corner to be guests on it. We yeah. get it. How has I was excited. <laughs> thanks. How has this current pandemic kind of changed the way you're spreading the word about the book? And what have you done to kind of still market it or get it out there? You know what, man? Actually, like, it, it's it's one of the few good things about it. Because I, and it's the same with music right now. It's, you know, like, we all can do whatever we want. You know, we have the resources with the internet. And... I've had this book ready to go for, for probably a year, but the thing, certain things needed to fall into place. Like I wanted to work with the right publicist and that's big picture media. Like I've worked with Dana and big picture almost since the beginning of big picture. Like when I started my magazine, she was maybe like a year into big picture. And I started interviewing her bands back then. This is like, over 12, like 10 years, over 10 years ago. Um, and so I've just known Dana who owns big picture, um, forever. And she's been one of my closest friends through everything. She has supported my tiny little magazine with her big bands and, you know, and then I, you know, ended up at Rolling Stone and billboard and would try to do what I could do for her bands there. Um, and, she's just been so supportive of everything. And like, she's, they're also the best in the business when it comes to music PR. So, um, I knew one, I don't know anything about book PR. I, I rarely see ads for books and I don't want this book. Like this book is for music people. It's not for book people. So that's why I read it too. That's why I read it. Mainly music. Yeah. So that was the thing too. And, uh, so I, I wanted to work with them, but also like people were stuck at home. Yeah. And so I immediately launched the Indiegogo, which wasn't really a plan. And I was like, well, look, this is a way for like people who are newly stuck at home. Cause this was like in March or April, like before April, um, that people like now we're all in our quarantine routine, you know, like yeah. we, we all, got it down but then people didn't know what to do and so i was like okay cool maybe this is a way for me to get my book in front of people and it was and i you know i i sold like 200 copies through that indiegogo which is a big deal to me um so i've kind of just been like trying to take advantage of that um everybody's on the internet right now more than ever and i actually did an interview with one of my college professors which like i always try to probably like once a year, my college professors will have me talk to their classes because they're like media classes. Um, And so I'll talk about like my career and stuff. And I was saying like everybody who's creative should be creating everything they can right now, because we might not be on a level playing field with like big studios and stuff, but this is as close as we're ever going to get, you know, because all, I mean, I know from experience 
being at places like, you know, Rolling Stone and Billboard that so many places are still behind the times when it comes to digital media. Um, like Comedy Central is ahead of the game, but I am constantly disappointed when I go to these companies that I'm expecting big, awesome things to happen. And they're still run by like old people with no vision. So like right now, like they weren't ready for this, but those of us who have been doing things on our own for a a long time or ever, like we know what to do. So fortunately, like I, you know, I've had some training in it, but I also like study so much about digital media and digital marketing because it's my line of work. But yeah, I mean, the pandemic has kind of like made it easier for, for me to do this. Cause also I'm like working from home now. I have a day job producing and directing commercials. And so I can't like, we're not shooting commercials right now. So I have more time on my hands and it takes every minute of every day to promote this book. Like if I want copies to sell, I have to be on social media, like engaging with people or talking to people. If they message me about it, um, you know, some guy in the UK like hit me up to order some books for his record store and I got to be there for that. You know, I got to be there to get that message and message him and work with my distributor. So like, I don't think I could have done this as well without this happening, you know? It's a good problem to have, if nothing else. Uh, yeah. It's a good problem. Yeah. I, I don't even know if problem is the right word, but you get what I was going at. Yeah. 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 Now, go ahead. Um, go ahead. But yeah, so, so, I mean, before this happened, um, so AJ, the singer from The Dangerous Summer, has been so awesome in like supporting this book. I gave it to him a long time ago. He really liked it. Um, and he's told me that like he'll help me out however he can to promote it. And so, like, a few months before, or like a month before the COVID kind of blew up here, we did this video interview where I talked to him about the dangerous summer chapters in the book. But we made plans like before that to like do a little acoustic book tour where he plays some acoustic dangerous summer songs and I, you know, do a book tour for like two weeks, you know, just like small venues. Um, like that was a plan that we were talking about. Um, but now it can't happen, you know? Right. And, um, so that was, that was one thing, but now I'm, I'm trying to work on the audiobook, which is going to require me licensing the music because I want to put the music in where the lyrics are in the book. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to license all those songs. So I'm working on that now, but I'm hoping by September I can do like a, like a live stream kind of thing with some of the artists in the book. Um, but I'm I'm still trying to put that together. So as far as like future marketing goes, that's that's pretty much all I can really do. Yeah. And hopefully do some more video interviews with some of the bands involved in the book. That actually leads me down a perfect path to my next question because you you Great. mentioned the dangerous summer chapters and getting the artists that the lyrics are in the book. And and that's kind of where I wanted to talk about next is you say in the book that you think in song lyrics. For what it's worth, yeah. me too. Uh but yeah. you through each chapter, so each chapter is named after a song from an artist, you know, whether it's Jimmy World, Bayside, The Dangerous Summer. Um, there's even a, a band in there that I didn't expect to hear was uh, brand new, especially after all that stuff kind of came out a couple years ago. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, we don't we don't got to go there. I have a Dejan Tendu. I have a Dejan Tendu tattoo on my leg. that's 18 nice. inches long. I have to live with that shit every day. So yeah. I, I just call it Matt Damon from The Martian and I move on. 
Yeah. I mean, and you know, of course I was, of course I, you know, thought about that. Um, and I mean, the thing is for me is that like, and I'm, and I'm so like not even, you know, invested in that, in that whole thing, but I make a lot of mistakes in my book. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I'm putting this out is because I want other people who are out in the world who make mistakes they're ashamed of to know that they don't have to let those mistakes defeat them. You know, like whatever, like what, and for whatever it's worth, Jesse Lacey like apologized for what he had done. He was aware that it was a mistake and that he was wrong that's that's the most i know about it like right. i'm not defending anything or whatever but the thing is like for other people when things like that happen some people kill themselves you know mm-hmm. when you're that when you're when you look that bad to people even when it's three people much less thousands tens of thousands like Jesse Lacey and other people in that position people kill themselves when they have that much shame. And I have a lot of shame about some things in that book, you know, especially like there's a prostitute chapter in there that I am very ashamed of. And my wife found out about it from listening to a podcast Um, because she didn't want to read the book because it, she just doesn't want to read it. It makes perfect sense. You know, it, there's no reason that she has to read it. Um, but there are things I'm ashamed of in that book. But I want people to know that we can't let that ruin us completely, ruin who we are, ruin the fact that we deserve to be alive, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, the include, of course, I thought about, you know, switching that song. But then that changes, that also changes the authenticity of the book. You know, that's the song that goes there, you know, with that chapter. But, but also it's like, it gives me the opportunity, which I didn't think about until now, but it gives me an opportunity to say, to use that as another example of what I'm trying to say in the book. They're like, people make mistakes and, you know, everybody deserves a chance to like redeem themselves and if if they you know are trying to and it seemed like he tried to yeah so two, um two but quick, yeah i just want people to know that two like, quick things on that though number one at least you didn't pick soco amaretto lime because everybody else already <laughs> has number two oh, yeah. number two with the prostitute thing not going into that chapter you can read it for yourself if you want to listeners but the one mistake you didn't make that night was at least you had I Love You Man on the television because that movie's fucking awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's that's seriously like that. I don't know. You can't I, watch I that movie the same way, I'm sure. I'm, I'm and sure. Maybe, and maybe it's because I've read the book. It's only because I've read the book so many times, like editing it, recording the audiobook, trying to like find excerpts and quotes to take out of it. I've read that book 50 times by now. Yeah. Um, and so now that memory is more vivid than ever <laughs> because I've read it over and over. You right. Know? I hear you. Now, though, 
I didn't even want to segue off into the brand new thing too much. I actually wanted to bring it back. I I, it's cool though. Cause brand new, like I said, I have an 18 there. They were one of my favorite bands ever, if not my favorite. So I, yeah. I get that part, but the, the kind of where I wanted to take that question even deeper was, so you, to me, this book is what like lyric genius should be. <laughs> you, you interweave the song lyrics into the chapters. Now you can tell that they're the lyrics cause they're italicized or they're, they're, they're their own graph. So you kind of get that, but I'm reading like torture the damned and I'm like, holy shit, he's about to do it. And you did it. And you kind of told like it, it piggybacks so perfectly. So, you know, whether this is a question or just a statement that you say, huh, cool. I just got to tell you that is fucking brilliant. That was fucking Thanks. brilliant. Thanks, man. And I mean, it, and like, I, like, you know, what you said when we started talking about this, it's just how I think. It's just what's in my head. It's like if I'm thinking of the scene in that book, like, like, for instance, like the Tortures of the Damned chapter, that's the prostitute chapter. So, like, obviously that song wasn't playing at the time, but it, you know, when I'm writing that chapter and thinking of how I felt, that song is just automatically playing in my head, you know? Mm -hmm. Also, because I'm such a huge Bayside fan, like I've been like I, m my brother and I booked Bayside in like 2003, and my band opened up for them. Um, I'm pretty sure Anthony was the only one in the band who's still in the band now. Mm -hmm. um, but I've seen Bayside at least 30 times, and like they're one of my top bands ever. Yeah. Um, and so Bayside songs pop into my head like that. Yeah. But like I I pointed this out when I was talking to AJ from the Dangerous Summer. All the Dangerous Summer chapters, the three of them are the present day chapters where I'm sitting in the hotel. Mm -hmm. And that's because at that point in my life, I was listening to the Dangerous Summer almost nonstop because I was always depressed <laughs> and that music helped me get through it. Yeah. So that music was playing when I was writing those chapters. And I didn't realize that until I talked to AJ. I was like, oh shit, like all the dangerous summer chapters are present day. Whereas like the Bayside chapters are flashbacks, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Your Bayside is, is my, the early November. Um, I've seen yeah. 36 times and counting for me, uh, wow. for the early November. And ironically, the dangerous summer recently opened for them. So that was, oh, really? it was great to see the dangerous summer for my, I think only the second time, but, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, we've had ACE and surge on the show a combined four or five times now. So, wow, um, really good. To, yeah. I went to that, um, have mercy early November tour. Cause yeah. I'm, I'm friends with the have mercy guys. And, um, that was a good show, but yeah, I hadn't seen the early November in a long time. It was yeah. good to see them again. 36 times with a three or four year hiatus in there. I just want to point that yeah, out. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's the, uh, that's the dedication. from your area though, right? They, they very much are. Yeah. They're, see, well, I that, can throw a stone. That, that's cheating. <laughs> now you say in the book, you're not a fan of crowds, but you do love going to the shows or going yeah. to shows. I should say sometimes alone, but shows are often crammed with people. What do you believe the difference is between crowds and people at shows? Man, you know, it's all about anxiety. And I mentioned it in the book that there's no logic to anxiety. Like, it just happens. Even when you are the most logical person in the world and you know you have no reason to feel anxiety, you'll still get an anxiety attack. It doesn't matter. So it has nothing to do with logic. So, like, I hate crowds 
in an uncomfortable setting like Times Square or like, you know, just a crowded room. Like I went to, there was a, like a block away from my apartment a couple months ago before COVID. There was a huge record, like um, just like a big, like record flea market thing. I don't know what you call it. Um, just vinyl record stores from all over the tri-state area just filled this place up with their records. And I went in there and I was so excited to just dig through records for hours. And there was too many people there. I, I could handle it for like 30 minutes and I had to get out of there. Mm -hmm. But like a show, it's a completely different feeling. It's comfortable. It's, it's, I'm getting good feelings from it. Um, and I mean, at this point in my life, I'm, I'll be 38 in five months or something, uh, four months. Yeah. Five months. Um, and so I'm not like in the crowd much anymore, except for a couple bands, um, like taking back Sunday, I really get in there and like MXPX, but I'm for the most part, I'm not really in the crowd anymore, Yeah. but, uh, yeah, it's just a whole different, like psychological thing for me. Um, yeah, I, I, I never, I never, it never really affects me in shows. I love how you put anxiety doesn't have any logic. That's really powerful to me because this is a little peel back behind the curtain for our listeners. Um, I think about the biggest and most life-changing panic attack I've ever had. And it was watching click by Adam Sandler. Oh man. I love that movie. So I, much. And, and, and so I had my biggest panic attack ever to this day watching that movie. So now I automatically associate that movie oh. with, with this thing. I can't watch it anymore. I, I won't watch oh, it anymore. Oh, that's a bummer. And it got yeah. it got down to the point where I remember the day it was a Sunday and the time nine o'clock at night. So uh, wow, I think th it was like three or four years now. My wife and I are are upstairs hanging out in bed watching a movie, and it was Finding Nemo, and I had a panic attack. It's because it was Sunday night at nine, and it just triggered. So now I can't Weird. watch. Now I can't watch Finding yeah. Nemo. So I get it. There is no logic to it, but to me, like subconsciously, there's almost like anxiety remembers you and do you do do you have any idea what could have maybe triggered you from click oh my god yeah i know exactly what triggered it i know exactly um my anxieties are more about like the future and mm -hmm. when he when he fast forwards through his whole life i'm like well fuck yeah and that that sets See, something off yeah this is an anxiety thing for me but i i have a really like like dad movies get me and click is kind of a dad movie. Sure. Um, and it's so like, I've seen, I saw click like three times in the theater. One was like a dollar theater or like twice was like a dollar theater, but like that movie was, it made me cry so much. And, um, so yeah, like that kind of, that definitely, I can see things in that movie that could trigger people. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's, that's crazy, man. Now you see, yeah, it's, Go ahead. Even when you're, even when you're like, I've, I've felt, I've been much healthier for a very long time for years um, because I've, you know, been on the right meds that are actually working for me. I've been seeing a therapist. Um, I try to exercise. I'm very conscious about the work it takes for me to feel this healthy. Mm -hmm. um, but I still like, in the last six months, 
had an episode where I was just crying in my bed because of something stupid me and my wife were like arguing about. And like those suicidal thoughts like started coming into my head and not to the extent of where it was ever going to happen at all, or even, you know, move on it at all. But after feeling healthy for years and not even thinking about suicide for close to a decade, I still, it still crept into my head, you know, Mm -hmm. like that shit never goes away. And it doesn't matter. Like there's a part in the book where I say like it, it, that shit will sneak up on you and knock you down and take your wallet. Like it, it just comes out of nowhere. To pivot a little bit lighter note, because that was heavy. That was a dark section of the <laughs> yeah. interview. Um, you lived a lot of places, whether it was growing yeah. up in Texas, New York, Nashville, a lot of different places chronicled in the book, L.A. What's a city that you've never lived in that you'd like to? Um, you can say Philly. I know you're coming here soon. So, like, you know, let's just call I mean, it what it I, is. I think I could. I think I could live in Philly. I don't think about living in Philly. <laughs> Damn I it. I could live in Philly. Um <laughs> But uh, um, Barcelona, I love Barcelona. My wife and I went to Paris and Barcelona on our honeymoon. We loved Barcelona. I can speak Spanish enough. Um, but maybe Barcelona. Honestly, I, I love L.A. Like, I yeah. lived there for two years, but I would love to live there. I finally love New York, I guess. Like, <laughs> it took a really long time, and I still don't know. But I think maybe I love New York as much as people actually love New York because I don't think anybody really loves New York. Unless you're uh, a fan of How I Met Your Mother because they all love New York. Yeah. Yeah, but they really don't. <laughs> <laughs> they love New Jersey but, uh, in some parts. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love Chicago too, but it's yeah. too cold. I, I really feel like I there is no city I haven't lived in that I would love to live in. Wow. Yeah, um, sh- I, Chicago. I love Austin, but I don't want to – live there because it's too landlocked yeah i love i love nashville but kind of the same thing a little too landlocked and um it's too small of a town um and then chicago's too cold but i love that city it's so like it's just new york and la for me man yeah chicago would top my list um (laughs) that was the best city i've ever visited in in the states i've never been to seattle but i've always wanted to go yeah, uh, and then Tokyo because I'm a loser and a nerd. So I see. That. I'm scared of. Yeah, that makes sense. But <laughs> I'm scared of cities where I couldn't even start to understand the language or figure it out. Well, every like, McDonald's has an English menu, so I'll just do that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let, where can our listeners find you on social media? So um, my production company. Um, which I published the book through is called uh, Burger Media, but all the handles are a burger joint. But burger is so it's a b e r g e r j o i n t, all one word. Uh, Facebook slash a burger joint, Instagrams at a burger joint, Twitter, which I need to get better at. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so a burger joint. Um, that's the website too. Um, rock bottom book for the book. Um, and then I'm just Mikey Lee rock on Instagram and Facebook and all that. We will Um, actually, and we'll have links to all that too in the episode description. So along with rock bottom book, we'll have social media plugs, even Twitter. I'm a big Twitter guy. So even Twitter, 
Uh, we'll have all of that in the episode description. So go ahead and give a burger joint and Mikey Lee Rock a follow. A couple more questions before we get into our rapid fire. You said it earlier um, that this is not the first thing you wrote. This is your first kind of long form published book, or at least the first one I'm, I know about. But far yeah. from the first thing you've ever wrote. Tell us some things that you've learned along this journey, which could be a loaded long question, but that you will take into whatever your next major writing piece will be. Um. The crazy thing is I, I'm learning a lot from this book. Like I'm getting lessons from the book as I have, as I talk to people on podcasts or answer questions for print interviews, um, people point things out in the book and I'm like, wow, you're right. Like that's like, I'm, I'm still learning from it. I'm learning lessons from it. Um, but things that I'll actually like, I'll take, on the next one, oh, man, I don't know. It's all moving so fast that I don't think I'm learning anything. Um, we'll answer this question in a year. That's all. We'll just come back to yeah, it. We'll yeah. Ha- we'll have yeah, you on have- again later. All right. That works. Um, you were about to say something. I cut you off. My bad. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, I have an idea for the next book. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that the thing that I'm learning is that, like, I need more help. <laughs> like it is not easy to self-publish a book. I mean, it's, it's, it's really easy to self-publish a book. It's not easy to make sure that book gets in front of people or sells, yeah, you know, that's, that's you. the hard part. Well, shout out to Dana and crew over at BPM. Cause they've, yeah, they've hooked us sure. up with a Gabriella lot. Too. is my publicist there and yeah. she's, killing it. Gabrielle's awesome. So much. Just quick yeah, shout out yeah. to Gabriella. She is absolutely killing it. So um, really excited for everybody that we work with, but I've worked with her only a couple times now, but every time in the recent past has been a plus. So really yeah, great. I had to call her after hours. So she <laughs> would let you know I was running late. I, she like had my back right away. I generally don't check my email this late, but it was like seven twenty, and I was like, just in case there's a last second cancellation. <laughs> and then it turned out that, that we had to go a little bit later than, than scheduled. Uh, but that's totally okay. Obviously only a couple minutes. So I'm yeah. really enjoying the conversation. The last question before we get into rapid fire, did I miss anything? Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we get into the, to the really rapid fiery segment? I mean, you know, I already kind of said it, or I already definitely said it, but I just want to reiterate it. So like the, the book is, is very dark and it's from a very dark time in my life, but the, the hopeful thing, I always, I always, you know, maybe this is arrogant of me, but it's the best example I can come up with. I'm not saying it's as good, but it's the best example I can come up with is like old Bayside songs or old, the dangerous summer songs are very dark and they're Mm -hmm. not hopeful really. They're pretty sad. And, but the thing is, is like, if those people didn't get through them, we wouldn't have those songs that helped me get through life. And if I didn't get through my shit, this book wouldn't exist. And now I'm in a much better place in my life. And, you know, I've had people ask me like, well, why didn't you like, well, I don't want to spoil the ending, but like people like expected the book to have this like really happy ending of like who I am today is pretty, is very happy. And I, I, I feel so much healthier. I am so much healthier than the person in that book. Just like, you know, you listen to a newer Bayside record or a newer, the dangerous summer record. 
And those guys have become healthier and have a healthier outlook on life, even though they still go through problems that they express in their music. The goal is staying alive to express yourself in whatever way you can express yourself, because that's what's going to get you through to eventually getting to where you feel better. Mm -hmm. You can always, and, and part of the, and what I always tell people that like the reason my book doesn't flash forward to who I am today is because that didn't happen right away. It didn't happen fast. And I don't want to give anybody the, like, I don't want to mislead anybody that like, yeah, all this shit happened. And then I'm happy because that didn't, that's not how it happened. That shit happened. That book ended. And then a lot more shit happened. Like (laughs) it didn't get happy and great right away. Right. But now it's pretty happy and great, man. And like, I'm, I have a very optimistic outlook and I hope this book leads to the next thing and the next thing. But like, I couldn't be, I couldn't be who I am today if I had killed myself because of that shit back then, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's the one thing I want people to take away from this is that like, there are, there's multiple times in that book where I almost killed myself. And thank God I didn't because I would not be here talking to you. This book would not exist. I would not feel as good as I do today, which has nothing to do with those things. But like, I have an awesome wife. I've got a cool job in New York city. I get to do some cool things, but like none of that shit would exist if I killed myself because of that shit in the book, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and like, we still get Bayside songs because Anthony didn't let that stuff beat him, you know, and we still get dangerous summer songs because AJ didn't let that stuff beat him. You know, whoever your favorite band is and those people who are listening, we get to have their songs because they didn't give up, you know? And that's, that's, that's the main thing I want people to take away from all this. I always say, and this is just a side note before we get into the rapid fire. I all, I, I say this at once every couple months that Bayside, when they came along for me, it was uh summer 2004 and at that time, it was for me. It was the early November. It was the Rocket Summer. It was May. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when Bayside came along, and Sirens and Sirens and Condolences is a fucking dark record. So yeah. and, and even the self-titled follow-up, possibly darker. And so it was a complete 180 from where I was. And yeah, I listened to like Census Fail and shit like that too. But that was a yeah. little bit different. That was a little bit more pop punky with the dark side. Um, Bayside yeah. was flat out. I had not heard a voice like Anthony's before. I hadn't heard lyrics, yeah. hadn't heard lyrics like Anthony's before. Yeah. And then like slowly that evolved into like say anything. And Max to me is, is still my favorite songwriter. So Max Beam is yeah. saying, so like that evolved and then saves the day. Chris Conley comes along and he has the voice of a pop punk, but his lyrics are fucking dark. Yeah. So like yeah. it, it was Bayside to me really helped turn that corner and give me that balance between like, I look at it like star Wars, like the light and the dark. Uh, to yeah. kind of shape who I am today. And I always like thanked Bayside for that. They, they have a yeah. special place in my heart for sure. No, same here, man. Uh, let's, let's get to the rapid fire. It was a, I don't want to say it was an exhausting interview, but holy crap, I did not see it going. This is my, yeah. I mean, this is, it's a heavy book. So yeah. like some heavy stuff's going to come out for sure. But we're going to try and have some fun with the rapid fire segment. Some of it's All book right. related. Most of it's not. It it is literally questions I thought of out of nowhere and just felt like asking. The the catch is please answer them as fast as you can. You can go 
you know, you can get verbose with it. You can go down a, a rabbit hole, but just make sure your answer comes as fast as possible. Hopefully. Okay. I better. told you I'm pretty bad. At, I told you before the show, I'm pretty bad at this stuff, but I'll try my best. If you've listened to previous interviews, I guarantee you won't be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you were forced to leave, I, I think I know the answer to a couple of these because we've talked about it, right? <laughs> but if you were forced to leave all social media except for one outlet, which one would make the cut and why? Ugh, probably Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. That's what I use the most. And I, you know, I actually keep in touch with people on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Instagram, you know, I'm on there for like 10 seconds. I, it's, I hate posting on there. I don't hate posting on there, but uh, it just takes more to post on there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Facebook. Because you got to do 30 hashtags on Facebook, you don't. Simple as yeah. that. I can't and do the hashtag. Because I'm an old guy too. Yeah, uh, Instagram was the last thing I went to. I'm I am a Twitter addict, so I would go with. Uh, uh, you see, I need to get. I yeah, I'm so bad at Twitter, but I thought Twitter was. I thought Twitter was dead, man. I thought the only thing keeping Twitter alive was Trump, <laughs> and that's why they won't. That's why they won't kick him off. But I keep hearing from the kids that it's coming back. So because because they doubled the character count, two eighty now. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. I can can actually have a conversation with somebody and not do it over seven different tweets. Like it it actually feels (laughs) kind of good. Now, next question. Are you a vegetarian? No. How do you like meat? How do you like your steak cooked? Um, Medium. Do you use steak sauce? I, here's the thing I do, but I just love steak sauce. Here's the thing. My, (laughs) my wife, my wife makes an awesome steak period. Don't need any steak sauce. But when else am I going to eat steak sauce? That's true. It says on, like, if like, if you eat a one, it says pork and chicken, like let's call it what it is. Yeah, you, you probably I, don't. I, and I barely eat, I eat chicken a lot, but I barely eat pork. Here's the crazy thing. My, my best friend I'm going to see in Philly tomorrow. I was just talking to my wife about this. He and his girlfriend are vegan. Hmm. And like, like, that's how you know he's my best friend because like I'll I'll go spend a weekend with him. They they came up here to visit us in New York a while back and I didn't eat meat for four days. That's the longest time I haven't eaten meat in my life, probably. Definitely my adult life. Wow. Four days. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. You're about to do it again. So uh we'll see. We're definitely <laughs> gonna get some cheesesteaks while we're down. Uh, there. hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, if Where you, am I supposed to go? Uh, Dallas Andrews or Jim's roast pork? I'd actually say Jim's roast pork. Okay. Toast. If you like the seeded roll, I'm a seeded roll guy. So okay. just, or Steve's yeah. Steve's Prince of Steak, you can get away with too, since you're. I know what area you're going to be in. Like 15 minutes away, Steve's Prince of Steaks. If you like the big slabs of meat as opposed to the chopped up stuff, I'm a Ooh. slab guy. Uh, okay. if, if you could experience one movie that you've seen before for the first time all over oh. again. What would it be? God, that one's tough. If you go TV show or if you play video games, I'll accept one of those as well. Man, I so I'll tell you what I I'll tell you what my first thought was after I say this. I recently thought I wish I could watch this TV show again for the first time, but now I can't remember what it was. <laughs> um, the first movie that popped into my head that I could experience for the first time was Moulin Rouge hmm. just because it's such a big, awesome movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously like high fidelity is a favorite movie, um, empire records, but like, I don't think those would, if I experienced them for the, first, here's the, here's the real question. Am I experiencing it for the first time as a 37 year old 
or am I having the same experience I had when I saw it the first time? In current like, current day, current day. Yeah. See, like, I don't think I would love them. I might not experience Empire Records the same way. Agree. It was one of my favorite. Was one of my favorite movies ever, and recently rewatched it. And while I still love it, it's kind of gone down a few notches. Well, see, like, I still love it too, and I still like feel the same way about it. But like, it it definitely. I mean, I still like remember how I felt about it. But if I had to, if I watched it for the first time today, I probably wouldn't feel the same way. Yeah. But Moulin Rouge, that's such a beautiful, awesome movie. And I love the songs. I think that would always feel the same way the first time. My, ironically enough, mine is 127 hours with James Franco, where he's the guy. Really? Yeah. That movie, yeah. Hit, that movie <laughs> stuck with me and hit me. I sat in my theater seat through the credits and for about five to 10 minutes after staring at a blank screen while everybody else processed out of the theater, I saw it in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Mm. And it just, there's something about it. And I still don't know what it is to this day. I still almost get that feeling. So to go back to that theater and again, I'm, I'm 32 now I was 20, 21. So, but I still know the way I think, I think it might hit me even harder now because I'm older, because I have a kid, because you know, I have so many reasons to want to live and all this other stuff. Like we talked about, that movie really that that's a movie about hope and survival and like holy shit man that's where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, next question. Eliminate one Disney animated movie from existence. Oh man. I'll go uh, hand drawn animated or the CG stuff. As long as it's animated. I'm, well then it would be all the CG stuff because just, like I haven't seen those but like I don't care for them. Just one. Uh, Give me just one. I think Okay, probably Lion King. Whoa. Um, <laughs> right in the I, feels. Right the, the, the CG Lion King? Oh, okay, yeah, the new one. Okay, yeah, then we're yeah, out. Yeah, no. we're good, we're good, we're good. Yeah, uh-huh. no, I would not, no, I love, dude, when I was in junior high, I was in, I was in choir junior high in high school, Yeah. and I used to freaking sing the Lion King soundtrack so much when yeah. I was a kid, to like, I mean, I, I say it was to like impress the girls, because I would also do the voices, like I could do Timon <laughs> and Pumbaa, um, but I could also sing. Yeah. Um, but I just freaking loved that man, and that's what introduced me to Elton John too. That's so great. like, I no, I love it. I animated Lion King is probably my favorite Disney movie. I would agree. But I would agree. CG Lion King. I I, I wish <laughs> they would stop all of that shit. Yeah, I, I'm I'm there with you. Oh my god, yeah. There, if you ever wanted to, and you may have seen it before, type in um, "I just can't wait to be king" pop punk cover. And, oh god! And there, I think I have seen that actually. It's so good. He's, I know it's like obviously lip sunk for the YouTube, but, but he actually did it in a studio. I can't remember the dude's name. He does a lot of covers of Disney songs in pop punk. I'm going to, I'm going to check it out it's again. Phenomenal. I think I did see it, but yeah, my wife is not a pop punk uh, person and she's not like a cover song person, but I had, oh, yeah. I, I put it on and she was like, this is really good. Like it stands up there nice. with the original. So can't recommend that enough. Uh, here's a fun one. Finish these song lyrics, but with something different. Than the oh, original. No. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me now. I'm on the. Uh, man, I'm going to be so bad at this. I, I don't even. I, 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 yeah, I, I think I'm going to disappoint you here by not being able to come up with anything. I will take that as your answer. So you said, Sorry. look at, look at me now. I'm, I'm on the going to disappoint you by saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I had to throw a Bayside thing in there. I figured that was 
I figured that was going to be one of the bands that hit you most because there's three or four chapters in the book. Oh, uh, no, yeah, they totally are. But like, I, I can't think of anything other than Bayside when you set me up with Bayside lyrics. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Bayside was pretty much uh, in whiteout on every single one of my book bags ever. So I'm with you. Nice. Uh, the best thing to order from a Chinese food place is what? I'm oh like orange chicken is what I go for normally first. That's my to go my my go to usually. Now is that from uh, anywhere or just like a Panda Express that kind of specializes in the old orange chicken? Nah, oh man, they really do spell. You're right about that. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean I'm in New York City, so like yeah, I feel you. Uh, Every corner, I'm sure. I, I know we have Panda Express. There's a couple I've seen around the city, but not around me. Uh, yeah, we've got Chinese places on every block here. Yeah. My, so I'm a, I love cooking. I love it. Love it. Love it. It's my after I don't get the drive home from work anymore. So after work, my compression time is cooking. And yeah, so same here. Panda Express sells their orange chicken sauce, um, in, oh. the, in the bottle at the food store. So we picked up a bunch of bottles and my wife for my birthday last month bought me a wok. So oh, nice. you can imagine the fun I've been having making orange yeah. chicken stir fries. I just made one two days ago. We've been eating it as leftover oh, since. Dude. It's I super might, good. I might look into that. It's that sounds su- awesome. And it tastes like the sauce, even mass manufactured, tastes like it does at the restaurant. It's phenomenal. Love mm, it. So yeah, bought some dope. bought some rice um, noodles, I, some veggies, throw it in the wok. Boom, done. I made enchiladas for the first time in my life during this pandemic. Um, my mom's Mexican and she used to make them when I was growing up and they're the best thing that she could, that she could make. I mean, she made a lot of good food, but they were, the enchiladas were the best thing she made. Mm. Um, and I never learned how to make them. So I finally just like looked up a recipe and I made them and they're so good. I've made them like three (laughs) times through this pandemic already. That's awesome. All right. Two more questions. If if your book was adapted into a movie television show or video game, which one of those three would you want it to become? Television show. Cause I've thought about this and I feel like it needs to be a series to be told correctly. I'm, I'm planning on adapting it. And, um, I, uh, I can't think of how I make it a film, like how the whole story is told. There's just so many flashbacks and like the time, the timing jumping around and stuff. And so I feel like it, it would be a series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope it will be a series because I'm, I'm really trying to, to make that happen. That would yeah. be so sick. We will cover everything that you do in the future on this podcast. I can assure you of that to me, and I want, I want Tyler Posey to play the lead. <laughs> sick. I'm putting, I'm putting it out there. <laughs> sick. I'll, I'll make sure to tag him. <laughs> when we release this episode to me, like Dang. books work so well for television. You just make a chapter in episode or even less. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. um, but I also like, I I'm, I'm, I'm hit with the, like the thing where I have to like think of how it keeps being a TV show. And I've got some cool ideas uh, for it. D- so. Don't discount the limited series though. Oftentimes that's no, the best like Chernobyl on HBO. We will never get another yeah. season of that, but those five no. episodes or whatever are friggin' perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, and I think it would be kind of, it would be kind of like that. I hope so. That would be so not sick. Kinda, not kind of like Chern- Chernobyl, but, <laughs> but <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. More, I, I definitely hope not Chernobyl style. I, 
I, I wanted to be like intersecting stories with like other people in the hotel, mm. but kind of in the same, in the same spirit, you know? God so damn. like maybe the first season is of this character and then like you see other, other guests in the hotel um, and then the next seasons are just follows them, but in the same timeline. The old anthology. That's, 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 I love yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. So that's, that's, that's one idea I have, but now, I don't, I don't know. Now the last question, it's very similar to the previous one. Um, I think of one of my favorite albums of all time. It's say anything is a real boy. And then, uh-huh. and then was a real boy. And I believe Max Bemis came out and said, I wrote this to be a musical. Um, I, nice. and I want this to be adapted. And I think of a band forgive Durden who literally wrote a musical and then had yeah. a bunch of other singers like Danny Stevens from the audition. And Chris, I think even Max and Chris Conley were in there too. He literally oh, wow. wrote like a stage thing for their follow-up album. And so I think about this book. If this book were adapted into an album where somebody told it through their own lyrics, besides Bayside or The Dangerous Summer, which band would write that album? Um, I've actually thought about this too because I actually, I actually do want to adapt it into a musical. Um, and I've like talked to some friends I have who are involved in Broadway stuff to like just get the ball rolling and see if they can like help me out. Um, so it's, it's weird. Like I've got a couple of friends who are just great musicians and also like, I just admire their talent of writing. Uh, Brian Swindle from the band have mercy. He's such a great writer. I love his voice. I'm sure I would ask him to help with it. Um, why why do you have to give me besides Bayside or the Dangerous Summer? Because it wouldn't be a fun question. <laughs> yeah, because it, it would definitely, I definitely want to get like AJ from the Dangerous Summer involved too. Um, God, you know, it's... Adam from TBS. TBS could be a fun one if it had like Fred in there and all the original members. Yeah, uh, you know, I, du- can you imagine dual vocals with some of the shit you wrote in this book and like yeah, the voices in your head versus I, the voices that you're actually saying? Like that would be so I sick. Think, I think I, I know I, I have it on the, like, the tip of my tongue who I, who I'd want it to be. Um, I just can't, I can't think of it, man. Um, it would have to be somebody like Max Bemis or somebody, cause I want them to be a good storyteller too, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's my, like that's Chris my cop Connelly. out answer. My cop out answer is, is max. That's just, that's just, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I love those guys like Chris Connolly and Max Bemis, like those and like Matt Pryor from the get up kid. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, probably, you know, Brett Detter from the, and the Juliana theory guys, like they're, they make such amazing music and they're on the comeback. Um, they, they took a long time off. I listened to them yeah. in high school and now I'm seeing them all over the place again. I'm like, hell yeah, it's great to see them back. Same with the spill. Yeah. They, the spill can. Really, yeah. I went to that show. It was yeah. good. Yeah. Um, they, the, the Juliana theory guys have been really awesome about like sharing posts about my book and Jack from Bayside too has been cool about sharing stuff. Um, but yeah, the, I'd love to get the Juliana theory guys involved and, and Brett does like, movie scoring and stuff too so oh, hell yeah. he might be he might know what he's doing there uh i don't know if you've ever heard of this band um but you me and everyone we know 
I've heard the band, but I don't I don't know if I've listened to them. I've heard of them. Ben, the lead singer, is has gone through a lot of the things you talk about in this book, and he's actually written that in song form. If you listen to You, Me, and Everyone We Know, you'll get it. That's a dark horse contender, maybe even my second place, because the way he can tell a story. Nice. Recommended band you know, right there, You, Me, and Everyone We Know. You know what? Now that you said that, got I got it. Freaking Dan Campbell from The Wonder Oh, Wonders. duh. He would be the, he would, if I, if, if I, I just listed like 10 names for you. And if somebody like put a gun to my head and said, you have to pick one, it would probably be Dan. I'm pretty like, sure. such a great he songwriter is. and storyteller. I'm pretty sure Dan and Ace from the early November just did a collab about the, and they put out an EP about the first season of Friday Night Lights. Yeah, I saw that. It was a, yeah, like last year. Yeah, I'm pretty, it was pretty yeah. sick. And and his Aaron West stuff, man, like I've, I've thought about like just adapting that on my own and then like trying to get it to him. But like, I love the, the Aaron West stuff, yeah. but yeah, no, I think I, I think I'd have to go with Dan. Mike, this was a blast. Thank you so much for coming on the Thank show. Thank you, dude. Yeah. No, that was great. Yeah, like I love, yeah, that was fun. I love, I love that. Mike, Mike, I really appreciate it. Mike Henneberger. Again, you can find him at a burger joint or Mike at Mikey Lee rock. Check out the book at rockbottombook.com, Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in and with New York City, available now wherever you can get your books. Um, Mike, hang on the line one second uh, after the episode is done, but thank you so much again for coming on. It was yeah. a pleasure. No, thanks for having me, dude. That means a lot to get you know, support and have people interested in it. Of thanks. course. Yeah, we hope to have you on again one day. And, and everybody, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week for episode 193. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>